Stay informed, get involved. Welcome to the Great Ambers Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Cameron. Welcome back to the uh, podcast, everybody. I'm so happy and I'm so pleased that today I was able to be joined by uh, Lisette Sumbu. Uh, So Lisette is an artist and activist who grew up in Amherst. Um, She's a singer and a songwriter who is passionate about human rights, and she is currently in a band called the Black Rose Project. So I asked Lisette to come on um, to talk about everything that's happening in the world, specifically because she was the person behind the Black Lives Matter protest that happened in Amherst uh, on June 6th. She was the driving force to getting it organized and making it happen. So her and I talked a lot about that protest, a lot about her history growing up in town, and we also spent a lot of time on, okay, what next? Where, where is she planning to go? What is she looking to do? Uh, how can other people in our community get involved and help out? So she mentioned she started a Facebook group called the Black Lives Matter in Cumberland County group. Uh, I'm going to share a link to that in the show notes, so please check that out. Uh, I'm going to share a link to her email address down there. So please check that out as well. Uh, Over the next while, I still want to explore and learn and share more stories about the African Nova Scotia community in Amherst and in our province. So please subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts, uh, just to make sure that you don't miss any other future episodes. So again, once, once again, thank you for listening. Thank you to Lisette for coming on. Now, here's our interview. So, welcome back, everyone, to the uh, Great Amherst podcast. Uh, I'm so, I'm pleased, I'm so happy that Lizette Sumbu is here uh, to join me. I, um, last weekend, so June 6th, she organized the Black Lives Matter protest in Amherst. So, welcome, Lizette. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. So, uh, last Monday, I, I shared just a quick, short episode. There's a lot going on. And just sort of my thoughts of what was happening. And so if you didn't listen to that, the short answer to this is I am a white man who grew up in a middle-class family in Amherst. Um, I've never felt the discrimination that minorities and people of color deal with on a regular basis. I also have never feared that an interaction with the police may turn violent. And simply put, I don't think anybody should be discriminated based on the color of their skin or anyone should fear an interaction with police or that an interaction with the police will uh, turn violence. I also made the comment that I don't know a lot about the history of the African Nova Scotian community in Cumberland County and just in our province, or how I can help. And so I, I made the commitment that I wanted to learn more and share more of that. And that's why I asked, and that's why I reached out to uh, Lisette. So before we started, I also told Lisette, please, as we're doing this, I'm coming at this from a place of learning. So if I ask an awkward or somewhat inappropriate question, let me know. So that's my quick rundown. So with all that being said, Lisette, I appreciate you coming in and I want to start talking about last weekend. So can you tell us about, tell us about Saturday? Um, Saturday was absolutely phenomenal. Um, I couldn't have asked for a better day. I mean, it was, it ha- everything all happened pretty quickly. Um, I knew that I wanted to do something. I wanted to be a part of what was going on. I'm, just, you know, I've dealt with so much discrimination and racism in my life, you know, still all the time. So, you know, I thought it was important to, you know, make sure our community was involved. Where we do have a, a large um, 
old black community. You know, we've been here for a long time. We've been here for 400 years. So I think it was important for us to, you know, to unite together, um, coming up, coming down church street immediately, you know, I started to see the police officers taking a knee and, you know, that in that moment, I was just like, okay, you know what, like we're doing something. And, you know, nobody told anybody to do that. Nobody asked anybody to do that. It was a respect thing. You know, and I thanked each and every one of those officers. And, you know, again, I will thank you officers for taking that knee that, you know, meant everything to me. And, you know, to be down there and, and having these conversations, these difficult conversations and, you know, young people coming forward, people coming forward who, you know, say that their families are racist and they've had to, you know, leave them, you know, it was a place for them there that day too. And then for the chief to, you know, make an apology um, for the systemic racism to the black community. Like we accomplished something that day. Like I, I didn't know what we were going to accomplish, but like there were many things accomplished that day. And, you know, I was, I was just happy to be a part of it and happy that the town, you know, was, we could all stand there together in unity. It was a wonderful, wonderful feeling. Yeah. You, you, I think you can still tell that feeling now. Like that still comes across from you. Yeah. I mean, I really, you know, for myself personally, you know, we all have our own experiences and, you know, as a person of African descent, you know, every person's experience is unique and, you know, I've never felt this type of support from the white community in my entire life. And, you know, people will be like, Oh, I've supported you. Like I was your friend. Well, but did you talk with me about black issues? If you didn't, then you probably weren't really supporting me. Um, but you know, back in the day, like when you're younger, you know, there's a, there's a responsibility that has to fall on the parents. So, you know, when it comes to kids, I try to educate them as much as I can, but you know, it starts at the home and it starts when they're babies, like this whole innocence thing, like it just sets them up for failure. Cause the default, if you don't talk to your, to your kids and educate them is for them to be racist by not talking about it. Then they have these, these inherent hidden biases and tendencies that they're not aware of. I mean, it's ingrained in our system, like our system is, you know, people want to say it's not built on white supremacy. Yes, it is. If you look at terms like I just saw from this Muhammad Ali interview that's been circling lately, like you hear terms like blackmail, blacklisted, black sheep, blackballed, you know, those didn't come up for no reason. And they might seem, you know, individually like it's nothing, but, you know, combined, it's not supportive and it's not inclusive. And, you know, and these are the same things, the same type of literature that's in our, in our education system. So, you know, there's a lot of different places that we need to start if we really want to implement those changes so that, so that we can have equal rights. Like I'm sick of it. <laughs> I'm sick of it. I think that's, that's an interesting, um, sort of the language we use. That's an interesting one. I was, I was, I was doing some reading and some research to get ready for this last night. And this one just, this blew me away. I found it on the tourism Nova Scotia website and it was, uh, I mean, there's a lot more to it. But it had a line, and it was basically talking about the first, um, the black loyalists that came from northeastern United States coming here. And it said some went to Annapolis Royal, some went here. And then it said, like, and some went to work in Lewisburg as slaves. And I went, wait, oh, yes. what? No. Oh, yes. No, you don't go to work as a slave. You're enslaved and put to work. Mm -hmm. And I was like, that language is still here now. No, it's crazy. And I mean, for any person that came here as the black loyalists, like when they came here and were enslaved, you know, they were given their slave master's last name. So for me, you know, my dad's from Congo, so I have Sumbu, but you know, most people, you know, they have their slave master's name, you know, our history has been completely 
displaced. So, you know, until, until that's rectified, until that real accountability is there, like we cannot move forward and it has to start in our communities, in the black community, as well as in the white community. Like people need to look at, you know, what can I do? You know, where am I now? What can I do? What's going on? And, you know, just to, just to own it. And I know it's, I understand that it can be very difficult, but like, I wish that that was my biggest problem was to just to try to understand. Like, to me, it's, you know, it's a cop out and this whole like, Oh, forget about slavery. You know, what happened so long ago? No, like white people need to own slavery. Like they want, like they own nine 11. Um, I always hear like, I'm not my ancestors. Like that's a cop out to me. You know, I'm completely my ancestors and their blood runs through my veins and we're all made up of the same water and we all drink the same waters of which our ancestors drank. So what we need to do is own up to the poor choices of our ancestors, to which the privilege was built on. You know, I don't understand why that's so difficult because if you're not choosing to educate, then you're choosing to perpetuate racism. It's, it's, it's as simple as that. You know, you're, there's, there's, there's two sides, you know, history is being written right now, which side, which side do you want to be on? And it's, yes, it's difficult to take accountability for choices that you did not make, but by not acknowledging, not acknowledging those choices, then the problem can just continue and it just persists. And, you know, in this, un, this like big elephant in the room that never leaves. And now it's just like a, you know, a little shadow, this accountability shadow that's, you know, following everybody around and, you know, and you know, it it needed to happen. I'm glad we're at the point now that, you know, that the white community is completely involved and is, you know, is just as outraged as, as the black community. And I was like, okay, like here we are. And this is how we can actually make change. Like if you look at the Supreme court of Canada, they've never had a black judge and it's 2020. So, you know, if we are not present, if we're not present in the system that, you know, how can, how can the system, Sorry, like how can it be reflective of us if we are not visible, if we're not, inclu- if we're not included? You know, how does it represent us and how does it support us? It's not possible because look at where we're at right now. Like, you know, I hope my sister gets up there one day. <laughs> That's the goal. That's the goal. <laughs> I think we were talking about that. I think, I, I, like I said, I think I grew up with your sister a little bit in school and yeah, I think she's probably got a chance. But- yeah, I mean, she always wanted to be a lawyer since she was five and, you know, they even, they've been trying to approach her, you know, everyone's been trying to approach her because her, you know, her level of integrity is, you know, it's to the nines and, you know, nobody, nobody can tell me that she doesn't fight that good fight every single day. And if I didn't have, you know, her support and the support of my entire family, um, you know, I don't, especially my mother, like she's, you know, been so instrumental in helping me move forward. And because this has been hard for me, like even last week, I've been calling the mental health crisis line almost every single day, like waking up crying, not being able to sleep, not eating because it's, it's so difficult. And, you know, when you get like right now, like getting some, you know, you get some backlash, it's extremely frustrating because you just, you just want people to understand like, and I'm not perfect. I don't approach things always the right way, but I'm the first person to apologize. I'm the first person to be accountable and to try to do better. And I just, you know, I try to do better every day. Like I have a five-year-old son and, you know, he knows the, the definition of integrity. He knows that you do the right thing, no matter what, whether somebody's watching or not. He understands the definition of, of privileges and consequences. So, you know, and he's five. So it's like, you know what? Don't tell me those kids can't understand. If kids that are three can learn five languages, they can understand how to not be racist. Hmm. It's as simple as that. You, you mentioned something that I'm kind of curious about. Like for myself, I go into 
um, any room, I see myself represented there. And I think you made the comment that, you know, like the Supreme Court of Canada, you don't see your community and you don't see yourself represented there. What, how does that impact you or what does that, what does that mean to you as you're growing up into your community? Well, it's frustrating because it's like, how can a system really work for you if you don't, if you don't see yourself there? And then same with, you know, when you're, when you're in school, you know, the education is only reflective of so much. And there's, okay, let's add these few tiny little points about different cultures, but it doesn't do anything to make a black person proud. I've never read anything in school that was like, oh, you know what? I'm black and I'm proud. No, it was always, you know, you were a slave rather than using the term enslaved. You know, even just moving here in grade six, like I'm still traumatized by the things that people said to me. They made fun of my braids and called me Medusa. They said that because of the lines on my legs from being a mixed race, um, that I had scales. Like sometimes they'd say, oh, you know, you're the prettiest black girl I know, or you look better with hair. Or like, I don't like your type of hair. I don't like your texture of your hair. Like it's, it's like, I didn't even, wasn't comfortable wearing shorts till I was 24. And I, I'm really not even that comfortable now, but you know, having, being a parent, I have to lead by example. So, you know, I'm not going to, I'm going to just move forward and not live based on my fear. Cause my son's going to do, he's more likely to do what I do rather than what I tell him to do. So, so how much I think I can see looking back, a lot of that would have been just dismissed as uh, there's just kids being kids. Well, and that's exactly it. And it's hard. It's hard too, because, you know, when I first moved to Amherst from Moncton, like I just wanted to fit in. So, you know, you just kind of let people, you let people just say whatever they want, do whatever you want. And then, you know, I spent, I was a token black girl until I was about 24. Every place I moved, every different college or university I went to, I'd find a new group of friends and I'd be the only person of color in that group. And, you know, and I thought it was a compliment. I was like, oh yeah, I'm the token black girl. No, it's not. It is not a compliment. Like it's completely insulting you know, to consider myself, it's kind of like, oh, like I'm the entertainment or like I'm the little puppet. And, you know, I spent so much time being a follower. As soon as I became a leader, I had no friends. And I was like, you know what? These people weren't my friends to begin with. Yeah. (laughs) So. Yeah. Yeah. It's tough. I was going to say, there's a lot to, a lot to think there. I was. No. And even so you know, moving forward with, with this conversation, um, into, into like a little deeper section of the black community, you know, we have our own issue of colorism, Mm -hmm. um, you know, which is just a divide amongst ourselves, whether it be because somebody's skin is a little bit darker or their hair is coarser or they're too dark or their nose is too big. And so when you have this infighting within our own community, you know, it's, it's historic, it's, it's nurture and, you know, that gets ingrained deep. So, you know, there's nothing worse than being ostracized by your own community. That's one of the only things that can happen because at that point, if you're, you know, told, oh, you're, I'm not black enough or you're this or you're that, then you don't have ties to the community. You're on the outside. So mm-hmm. how can you respect and love your blackness if your own pe- people tell you like, nah, this ain't you. Like, it's not you. Like, and it's yeah. wrong and it's dangerous and irresponsible behavior and it's torn generations and communities apart. And I believe like this community included because you mean i I get it on all sides if i have my hair straight oh you think you're white or oh you think you're this i'm just like i'm just trying to look good for me it's got nothing to do with any of that you know i'm i'm very confident in being a person of african descent but you know i am mixed with caucasian and first nations and if i had to go to bat for those parts of me i would but right now the black part's on fire and you know if you have any sense of humanity then you need to be right there with it because if you're making an excuse 
then you're part of the problem. If you don't want to believe me, it's like, they don't want to, if they don't believe women, like what are they going to believe black people? Like, it's just a bigger problem of just, you know, people not wanting to take any ownership or, or any accountability and that, you know, silence really is violence and people have a hard time owning that. And so that kind of moves me into a, a conversation um, about white fragility and yeah, just to kind we, of make we it, touched on that a little bit before, yeah. we, before we started. So to make it really easy for people to understand, this is a prime example. Um, the woman in charge at the RCMP just put out an article yesterday saying that, that there's no systemic racism within the RCMP. My mom has been on a board to alleviate that problem for the past 10 years. And there's probably board three the, boards before that looking at the same thing. So with, with these boards, you know, she's traveling like, and with a, a bunch of other persons of African descent who were on these same boards, you know, traveling to Halifax once every few months for these meetings, like they're paying, you know what I mean? Paying for their accommodations, paying for their travel. So what was the point of them coming down there for, because I feel like, you know, it was that ask a person a question, caught off guard, you know, white fragility. It's that defensiveness, that immediate, oh, I'm not racist. Oh, hmm. I have a black friend. That kind, of that's, that kind of response is white fragility. And, you know, it's pretty much the basic sense of, you know, something happened. You don't want to acknowledge it. And then you wait and then you wait and then you wait and then it becomes impossible. And then the discomfort becomes silence. And... You know, it's, they're difficult conversations to have. And listen, we have one thing that we had mentioned earlier before we had this conversation about, you know, these different hidden biases that, that we have. And, you know, whether you're a person of color or not, we all have hidden biases, but it's just to own it and move forward. Like, if you can't, if you can't own it, like, I don't know what anybody expects me to do. Cause I mean, I'm as raw, I'm as raw as they come and I'm as forgiving as, and loving as it gets and you know, people, and you know, yes, sometimes I'll, I'll speak from a place of pain, but oh, like, what can you expect from me? You know, I've been arrested over 20 times for racial profiling and that's fact. If you look back, this is back between 2003 and 2004 when health ex police after that, they had, they had to do a complete overhaul. Like I would literally step out of the bar and get arrested and just walk out. Like we even tested it one night just to see, a few of us girls went down to the bar completely sober at 11 o'clock at night. We went in, we sat down, had one drink. Second, I stepped outside, was arrested. And you know, when I've had, an, and I've had a knee in the back, you know, I couldn't breathe. So when anyone wants to tell me that what I'm saying is not valid, I shouldn't have to try and convince you. You know, I don't, I don't want to be having these conversations. We should be beyond this. Like if everyone's, oh, I'm tired of hearing about race. I'm tired of dealing with racism. I'm tired of dealing with it. So we can either make the change or I don't know, or yeah, or part, part of my language or things are going to get burnt down. You know, people are, are enraged. So unless people can start to show, which in Nova Scotia, they are starting to show some changes and some, you know, a slight defunding of the police and money being allocated to different things that are, you know, going to be, you know, of benefit to the black community and to us as a whole. So you know, we're seeing it now. So hopefully it what's keeps good. Going. Yes, exactly. You're, how would one, what would one of those interactions be? Like, I mean, it, when I went to university in Halifax, when I left the bar, at, you know, two in the morning, two 30 in the morning and ran into the police, somebody would tell me, Hey, you should probably get in a cab. Don't drive home. Take a cab. Like that was my interaction. No, mine was get arrested and never, I don't think I've even ever been read my rights. Like not one. <laughs> 
<laughs> not one. And I don't have a criminal record. I don't have any intentions to, you know, to do any kind of criminal activity, you know, and some people will, will say, oh, well, you know, maybe you instigate or maybe those it's that type of those type of attitudes that set us back. You know, I'm accountable for my choices. I don't need to run around and tell the world, you know, all the mistakes that I've made. You know what I mean? I'm accountable to me and I know that I'm doing better and I'm secure in that. So, so you know, realistically, sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say the person saying, well, maybe you instigated it. Would that be like another, like, would that be like a white person telling you that? or would that Oh, be no, that's another... black people too. Okay. Okay. <laughs> you know, I've had some conversations with, you know, Probably I'd say about the same kind of group of people over the past, I don't know, five to 10 years when big issues come up Mm. and, you know, it's kind of the same people who, you know, would disagree or think that, you know, my opinions were too strong. And it's funny because now some of those people are like coming back being like, you were right. I'm like, okay. (laughs) Thank you. you." My my aunt always says you can help me now or you can help me later. Because if you have integrity, it's always going to keep moving forward. So, Mm. so um, I do want to go back to, like the colorism kind of question. Um, because, so how does that definitely is historical? Like, I think like, I don't know a lot about it, but I know that it's historical. And that I think it was also used as another tool to control the community. A hundred percent because of that divide and conquer, you know, in this, in the days of slavery, if you were the lighter you were, you could, if you were light, you could be in the house. If you were dark, you were outside. And then that created that imbalance, you know, between women and, you know, light-skinned women with their long hair or whatever, or like their straight hair and, you know, thinking that they were better. It's like the Beyonce complex that, you know, people will call it sometimes. And, you know, I've experienced it myself, you know, I go places and someone's just a little bit lighter and their hair's just a little bit straighter. It's just, you know, a comment has to be made or, you know, you're too dark or you're this. And it's just like, I, you know, it's, it's really, really frustrating. Because I'm, you know what, that's the last thing I'm trying to do is, is be divided from my own people. Because at this point, like, we've been divided for too long. And I don't know, like, I, I'm trying, to, I'm trying to save the world <laughs> in my own little way. But I mean, that's the thing, like, all I can do is, is contribute what I can contribute. You know, you gave me an opportunity to have a platform. And you know, that's all I can do is, is use this opportunity to try and educate people and try to help them understand and, you know, get that earnestness to seek out the knowledge for themselves and, and to figure it out. Because if you can't keep sweeping it under the rug, because otherwise you're going to get swept under right with it. And then you're on the other side. And, you know, like I said, there is always room for forgiveness, but like, I don't understand why people would even be trying to, you know, be that way and then think that they can just come back from it because, you know, that's where the term like, fake allies comes in you know Mm -hmm. a lot of people you know i'm sure that there's some people who even went to the protest just so that they wouldn't seem racist Mm -hmm. you know or who repost things because they don't want to seem racist well you know what do the work it's like the people who put up the picket fence and try to pretend that they have a good life instead of actually doing the work to be a good person actively like you have to be being a good person is not easy (laughs) being the bigger person is not easy but you know what it feels good and when I'm not stressed out, I can actually sleep at night because of it. This has been a fairly stressful six months of 2020, like just just across oh, the very board. Very overwhelming, 100%. Yeah. So do you think, like there's been protests before, but does this one, and what's happening now, does this feel different? 
it's definitely different because white people came out. <laughs> and like that is the difference because if you look at all, even our political systems, you know, for the most part, it's all white people. So if we don't have the support of the majority, then we're not going to accomplish anything. Mm-hmm. So that's the difference between, you know, 40 years ago, the MLK days to today is that, you know, we have white people are outraged too. And that's the difference. And they're willing to do something. Um, and I'm, I'm grateful. For, I'm for, I'm surprised. I'm shocked. I'm overwhelmed with joy, but I'm, you know, grateful is grateful is the biggest is the biggest word that I can come up with. So with that being said, like, like you said, this time there's white people coming out to help support. Is there like in like people, you know, in sort of the black community in the African Nova Scotia community, is there still a hesitation towards how the question about how strong is that support? Um, I, it's hard because, you know, the elders, they already did this fight. They already been, they've been doing this. They've been fighting this fight. So, you know, of my generation, it's our turn now. So we need to do this for them. They deserve to see it happen in their lifetime. So do I expect any person over the age of 50 to show up? Nope, I don't because I'm doing this for you. And if you show up, I'm going to probably cry. (laughs) You know, I do because I, I do, because to me, it's, you know, being in that protest and, you know, seeing you know, people over 60 in the black community is going to me cry right now, but seeing those people standing there, like, I was just like, oh, I'm doing this for y'all. Like, it's emotional because it's just like, you know, they don't, wouldn't, they wouldn't have thought they would see the change happening in their day. And the fact that they're seeing it before their eyes and that I can be a part of that change, like, that means everything to me. Because it's not about me. It's about all of us, it's about humanity finally just coming together so that, so that we can all have a good life. And, you know, so that I don't have to worry about if the cops are showing up, if they're going to kill me, you know, on a wellness check, you know, or anything like that. I shouldn't have to have those fears. I shouldn't fear the police. And, you know, one thing I can say about that is, you know, already my relationship is with the police is, is starting to heal it's starting to heal and it's because they're doing the work. So, you know, I'm, I'm grateful for that. I'm, I'm really, really grateful. And I can't say that enough, apparently. <laughs> uh, but one okay. thing I will say though, about myself, you know, like I'm not going to change who I am to suit anyone's views of what I should be. And like, I do, I drop a lot of N bombs. I drop a lot of F bombs, but that shouldn't mean that my life should matter any less. Like I'm an artist and, Hip hop culture is ingrained deep in me, you know, and it didn't make Tupac any less woke or profound because he used the N word. So I just wanted to put that out there because, you know, a lot of people in this community, like they, they get a perception of me, you know, they'll, they'll see a random video of my music. And, you know, instead of asking me a question, they would rather make an assumption. And, you know, it's those assumptions that keep us back. And I'm just trying to, you know, alleviate anybody's concerns of, you know, what, what I'm trying to accomplish, which is just equality. I'm passionate about having equal rights. It's interesting, like where, where you say the assumption, and I think that's where sort of like the systemic racism kind of comes into it. If somebody makes an assumption about me, I'm getting the benefit of the doubt. Exactly. Just because. And because the default is white supremacy. So it's like, we have to acknowledge it. We have to talk about it. If we don't, then you're the problem. It's just, it's boom, boom. It's, it's as simple as that. 
Like I, I mentioned this at the protest, but like, I'll say it again now that I was in a store and this girl was in there with her son and he said, why are her lips so big? And the mom grabbed the son and ran out. And like, so for me, just the way that she did that was she just traumatized that child. Hmm. And now it's like, what is his response going to be to black women with big lips and brown skin? You know, now is he going to be afraid? Is he going to, you're going to wonder, like, do you know what I mean? So, you know, it was a, it was a teachable moment. We need to correct injustices when they happen. And we need to, because I mean, at that moment, if she had stayed and, you know, tried to talk to her kid, I would have got down on my knees on the child's level and, and explained it to him, you know, as best that I could in that moment, because kids are completely innocent, but unless we, we shouldn't allow them to be innocent, we need to give them the knowledge and, you know, when, when those opportunities come, we need to utilize them, but we also need to be at the forefront and get ahead of it. If you don't get ahead of it with your children, you're part of the problem. And like, I'm not interested in that. Like, I'm willing to work with anybody who wants to move forward, anyone who has questions, anyone who's trying to understand or even just have their voice heard. But if you're not willing to put in the work and you're not willing to pick up a book and put your privilege down, then I don't have the time. Yeah, so that's that that that's interesting, and that sort of transitions into it. So the the protest was last Saturday, and I I've kind of spent the last like month talking about making changes in our community and making changes. I've focused on sort of the political system in that way, and, it, and one of the things I've always been focused on is it's not a one and done thing. Like it's not one march, boom, racism solved, everybody go home. That doesn't that's not how anything works. It's just not. It's takes sustained effort. So. Where does this go from here for you? So as of right now, um, I just, I created a group on Facebook that's Black Lives Matter Cumberland County. That's open for anyone who, you know, wants to be up to date or a part of, you know, moving forward. So I'm not really sure what it looks like because it's, it's a collective. I just want to see, you know, what is it, what skills do people have? What talents do they have? What do they have to offer? And, you know, what can we reasonably do? Um, so I'm hoping that maybe starting next week, we'll get a newsletter out um, to the community. So those who don't have the internet or Facebook, so that they will have mm-hmm. that same access and that, you know, be able to have their voice heard. Um, we're going to be potentially doing some eight to 10 group um, Zoom meetings so that we can actually hear from the people like, you know, what legislation do we need to look into? What do we need to approach the Minister of Justice with? What do we need to approach the Minister of Education with? How do we go about that? And, and just making sure that we get the input from everyone. So it's, it's lengthy, but I think that it's important. And then hopefully throughout that, we can try to connect with, you know, other communities who are, you know, working towards the same goals, you know, not just throughout Nova Scotia, but, you know, internationally get us all on the same page and, you know, and defund the police <laughs> just a little bit. You know, there's money that can be allocated to so many different things rather than patrol. You know, there's things that, that can be done in every community that will that will support, you know, specifically the black youth and the, and the kids because they, you know, they need it the most. And, you know, there's it's it's hard to try to do fundraising when there's so many different organizations that, you know, there's 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 money out there. So I don't think we need to go looking for new money. We, need to, we just need to take some of the money from these different organizations and departments and allocate it to something that actually benefits the community on a ground level. Cause I, I want to go back to that. Cause I agree with the principle behind the movement. I struggle with the, the slogan for, for the defund the police. 
because it doesn't mean take the funding for police departments down to zero and no, no more police. Just, so can you unpack it all. for us? So it just means to just, let's see, just even the nature of police work, you know, there needs to be, it needs to be looked at differently. You know, even for the way when, when dispatch answers the phone or how they interact with, you know, visible minorities. So there's a cultural competency piece that yes, they already, I'm sure they've got tons of training while apparently it's not working. So, Mm -hmm. you know, we just need to look at how, how that system is, how that system works and you know, what things, what things aren't really doing anything, what things aren't necessary and allocate those funds to things that will actually be more productive. Mm -hmm. And so one of the, one of the, one of the, not arguments for, but one of the things they talk about is maybe looking at like drug addiction is not a criminal issue. It's not like if somebody has a drug addiction, they don't need to go to jail. They need treatment. They need help. Exactly. Exactly. And that's the thing, you know, even with, you know, they just, Toronto just stated yesterday that anti-black racism is a public health crisis. So, you know, and we, we need funds in there too. Like it's bigger than that. We need to really just look at all of these different systems and organizations and not necessarily dismantle them, but see what's working and what's not working. Is there really inclusion? You know, is there inclusion? Is what we're doing really reflective of the cultures that live here? And not just for, for African Nova Scotians, but any visible minority, really. Mm-hmm. So whether that's starting some type of different group that, you know, is inclusive with people who have the skills. Because for me, I'm an artist. So I, mean, I don't claim to be you know, the smartest person in the room, you know, but I do know from my own experience, you know, some things that can be done. And, you know, I just do my, I just try to do my part. And, and that's the thing we can all just see, you know, what is it that we can reasonably do? What is it that we have to offer? What kind of knowledge do I have? What can I bring to the table and use it for the benefit of humankind? Like what other better gift can you give to the world or to your children or to your grandchildren, but a future that's equal? Like it, to me, it's like cut and dry. It should be it should be easy peasy for people to see that yeah. to not lack that sense of humanity. And I think it's also coming out of sort of COVID-19 and coronavirus. I think it's again, a reminder that we are all in this together. Like the virus didn't care. You know what I mean? Like what community or what your background was like our whole community is in it together. So if somebody's struggling, let's try to help them. Well, I'm going to have to cut you off there for a second yeah. because that's not really true. You okay. know, a lot of people, no, I'm not sure up here in particular, but in the States, you know, mm. people were who, you know, persons of African descent who were going to the hospital, they were saying, oh no, it's, that's not it. That's not it. You're not sick and not testing them. And then they're dying. So it's that same premise of people still not being treated equally and then not getting the care. Yes. So it's, it's like, how do we, how do we fix this when like, the system is completely broken? You know, some people will say it's irreparable and it needs to be, you know, we need to start over. Some people will say that we could fix it. And, you know, I'm willing to try to fix it, but I mean, that's going to take, you know, it's going to take a lot of people to, to, you know, to get on board with that. The government's going to need to get on board, like either get on board or you're part of the problem. And, you know, we don't want to see things escalate the way that they have, but I will tell you right now, I am not my ancestors. If things need to escalate around here, like we ain't scared. Like black people, we are not scared. We're not scared to go to jail. We've already been there for no reason. So, you know what I mean? If we can stand up for our rights and speak out, if we have to, like we will, we'll do what we need to do because at this point, enough is enough. And I'm not raising my son in a racist society. It's not happening. So, so with that, you mentioned it before 
that this time felt different where white people and sort of people in the majority are helping. So if somebody's out there and they say, I want to help, how, how can they get involved? What? So something easy that anybody could start doing is, you know, writing le- le- letters to the new deputy minister of justice, Candace Thomas, um, because she is a, she is a woman of color. So, you know, we would consider her to be an ally, someone who's, uh, you know what I mean? Who's trying to advance, to advance these issues so that we can move forward, um, writing letters to the school board, um, to the minister, Zach Churchill, and, you know, asking, you know, what can we do for more diversity and inclusion within the education system? Um, and we can also reach out to um, the minister of health, um, of public of public health, um, just because it is a health crisis to find out, um, you know, exactly what they're doing to support the black community. Like I know right now that there's a new crisis line out of Halifax. It only runs from five to nine for persons of color. So like there are some things slowly happening. I'm sorry. I don't have the information for that. No, that's okay. But what about, what about if you need help at 10 o'clock at night? Well, then you can call the regular mental health crisis line. And you know what? They're excellent. They've been so helpful to me throughout, throughout this. Like I've been just like, I've been calling them in the morning because it's, you know, it's hard trying to navigate and also being a single parent and trying to do all of it at one time. It's, you know, it's very overwhelming. So I'm grateful to have that support. Um, it's been extremely helpful to me. So with that, like with writing the letters, is there like, do you have a, like a template of a letter or topics to suggest? Because I guess for me, like if I, if I was to write a letter to the minister of education, I would just write what I thought was important to be done, but that may not actually be what is important. And that's why, so that's why we're going to be starting these, these small group zoom meetings so that we could actually get that input. So mm-hmm. yeah, I was just mentioning that. So if there, if you are, if there are any listeners who are like, you know what, I have, I already have a question. I already have this, like flood them, flood them, let them know. Um, but yeah, we're definitely trying to work through that so that we can find out collectively, you know, what is it that everybody's looking for and see what's the best way to present that? Because I don't, I don't know. I'm only one person. So I definitely want that input, you know, from the community, even people who don't live here anymore. Like to me, anybody who wants to join the Black Lives Matter Cumberland County group, I don't care where you are in the world, you are welcome to join. Your input has value. Your time has value. And anyone that's a supporter, like they're, they're welcome there because we need all the people that we can get. So that's, you said the best way to do that is there's, you started a Black Lives Matter Cumberland group. Yes. Yeah. And I'll share a link to it. Fantastic. Hopefully by the end of the day, I, if the name is not taken, I'll try to make an email that's Black Lives Matter Cumberland County at gmail.com. Well, so when you get the email, when you get the email, let me know. Yeah, we'll, I uh, certainly will. Yeah, and I'll share that as well. So those were sort of provincial things. What about locally? Like, what about in town? In town, I mean, like I said earlier on in the interview, I think first people really need to look at their white fragility, the colorism issues. And, you know, even within their own families and just, you know, get on, at least get on the same page with your family, get your family on the same page first, then, you know, move on to your friends, your coworkers, because this on the ground level, if we, the, you know, there's so much power in numbers There's so much power. So, you know, if th- those things that those things that we can do that don't cost money, you know, if it's a matter of a phone call or an email, you know, just getting that, getting those comfort, getting the difficult conversations going because if we 
you know, no one's trying to do this alone. And I don't want anybody being out there being like, oh, well, my family doesn't agree. And I'm by myself. No, we got your back. Like, we got your back. And, you know, even if it's for us to come up with as a group, you know, information that can be provided. But right now at this point, you know, there's, there are, I'm going to have to say at least thousands of documents, you know, for people to educate their children, whether they're children from age one through seven or for youth or for teens or for adults, like the information is out there. It's readily available. It's free. So at this point, the only thing that's stopping anybody is an excuse. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you already know how I feel about that. <laughs> <laughs> I think we've covered that a couple of times. I have, um, yeah. um, one last question, sort of along this line. Is there anything you can think of that, um, I, I guess we'll say white people say, do that out of a place of wanting to help, but just really isn't? <laughs> Posting, changing your profile picture to you with your black friend is disrespectful to me. Now, what some about a people, black square? No, that was for black. See, the thing is, it's. It's trying to find out whether people are on the bandwagon or if they're really there. And that's mm-hmm. the big, that's the bigger issue. It's, are you just doing it because you don't want to be known as racist or because it's a trend? Like, yes, yeah. black people are trending right now. You know, it's like, is this going to, are people going to just fall off and move on to whatever the next, you know, the next big issue that comes up or, you know, cause I mean, I'm here for the long haul. I've been here. Like I've been fighting this fight. So, um, like Posting picture, you know, that's, that's, that's a big one for me. Cause people like to do that all the time. or telling people, you know, about the black people that they know, like I am already a black person. I don't need to know about the black people <laughs> that you know, but it doesn't make, you know what I mean? That's, that's, it's, it's really difficult because really it's to each their own perspective. Mm-hmm. So I only know, you know, for, for me and two, it's, you know, it kind of depends on the person that it's coming from. Cause if you know the person, and it's like, oh, you know what? You know that they're doing something out of a place of love. So at the end of the day, I, I would encourage people to continue doing what they feel is support. But if somebody, if you hear something about what you're doing and, and, it's, and someone's insulted or offended by it, believe them. And it's as simple as that. So, because we want the support and we don't want anyone to feel like they can't do something. But I mean, if you're already told, well, don't do that, like, then don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's easy enough rule. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, Lizette, thank you, uh, thank you for coming on. I don't want to take up, you know, a whole lot, whole lot more of your time. I've, you know, I've enjoyed, I've enjoyed our conversation. I mean, I, I know for myself, I have a lot more to learn and understand, kind of keep going that way. And so, like I said, I'll share links to the the Facebook group you've got when you get your email address. I'll post that again. Um, do you have anything else? Like any. Anything else you want to share or? Oh, sure. I've always got a final thought. (laughs) (laughs) So I guess, you know, next time anybody's, you know, listening to hip hop or putting on their big hoop earrings or their Air Force Ones, ask yourself, what have you done for black people lately? Instead of don't just enjoy our culture, but support us too, because we we need it and we deserve it. Perfect. Because Black Lives Matter. Thanks, Lizette. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you once again to Lisette for coming on, talking to me, and sharing your experiences and stories. Uh, I hope everybody listening got something out of this episode just like I did. Uh, Again, if you want to make sure you catch all the episodes, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening to the shows. And I'll be back again next Monday with the next episode. I'm not sure which one or what I'll post yet, but 
subscribe and make sure you catch it. Thanks a lot. Have a great week, everybody.